Majors and minors, things that are essential and things that are exotic. Discipleship is built on the core truths God has revealed about himself and humanity. But as Christians, we can often focus on things that are interesting but peripheral, all while neglecting the essentials of faith. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, my daughter, Hannah Phillips, for the first in a series of conversations we'll be having on faith foundations. These are the essential truths God wants us to embrace and stay focused on as we live as his people. Today's discussion is about the central figure in God's revelation, Jesus Christ. We're looking at four dimensions of the person of Jesus each of us needs to recognize and respond to. So let's dive in. Welcome into The Harvest. Today, I've got one of my all-time favorite guests joining me for the podcast, my daughter, Hannah Phillips. And Hannah, I can't say that you're my top guest because I've had your mom <laughs> on the show as well, but you're definitely tied for the, the most favorite guests I've ever had on the podcast. So this is a lot of fun, and I'm glad you're able to join me today. Yeah, I'm excited. This will be a lot of fun, I think. We were having a conversation last week on our family discord about the state of faith in America and how, you know, fewer people understand just the basic beliefs about Jesus or Christianity or the Bible. And actually it was your husband, Thorne, who had put the initial post. So maybe just by way of introduction for what we're going to be talking about today, do you want to relate what he had said in the, in the discord and, and how we talked about that as a family? Yeah, he was saying that he was watching a, um, or listening to a podcast at work, and they had played a clip from a recent Jeopardy episode where they asked um, what word was missing out of the, the Lord's Prayer, and the word was hallowed, but nobody was able to answer the question, and it ended up, you know, dinging, and no one ended up getting it. So um, he was he was like shocked by that because, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, almost anybody could have answered that most likely. So it's just it was shocking to him that people didn't know. Yeah. And I think it was from what he related, it was they basically started it off. Right. Our father who art in heaven, blank be your name. So they gave everything yeah. except that one word. And. Mm -hmm. Apparently, these are very intelligent people. They're on Jeopardy, but that was one bit of trivia that that they didn't know. And I think it points to a larger issue that's happening in culture today, which I would just say is is basic illiteracy um, that this this generation in many ways is illiterate. And I don't mean that in a insulting way. I just mean we we don't know basic details that past generations we just would have assumed that they would know whether that's about history or about classic literature but also certainly about christianity and the christian faith we have less people being familiar with just just basic beliefs about the christian faith and a base less understanding about who Jesus is, what the gospel is. And so as we talked about us and what we were going to talk about this week, um, there were a few things that we were going back and forth on. There are some things that I think are, are interesting. And if you go on YouTube and you look at what uh, 
YouTube Christian channels are talking about, a lot of times they are things that are very interesting, but I would describe them as being on the periphery. So they're, they're fringe issues or fringe topics. Or if you go on Twitter, almost anything that Christian Twitter is talking about at any given time, it's interesting. So people click on it and they interact with it. But when you go back to the scriptures, it's not really a core teaching or a core issue. And so as we thought about what we would talk about, we decided that we want to talk about things that are at the core of the faith, things that are foundational for faith. So things that are essential and are at the core versus things that might be interesting, but that are peripheral issues. And so we're actually going to be starting a new series. And I don't know, we'll see how you enjoy being on today, but maybe you'll even be able to join me for this series, but we're calling it Faith Foundations. And um, yeah, I'm excited to do the first episode in that series today with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. So what do you think that the, the first foundation is that we should focus on today? Well, I definitely want to start with the start. And in the scriptures, that's Jesus. If you look at Genesis through Revelation, all of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it builds towards this central figure, this, this one who's been promised that the prophets have predicted is going to come and save his people. Um, and then if you look at the New Testament, we're all looking back at Jesus, who he is, what his life means, what his teachings were all about, and the life that he's calling us to engage in as his followers and as his people. So I want to start with Jesus. I, I once heard a, an old man say that the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And in the scriptures, Jesus is the main thing. The challenge for us as we go through life is to keep Jesus at the center, to, to keep him at the heart of our faith, our conversations. And so we're going to start with who is Jesus and Jesus himself claimed to be at the, at the center of God's purpose and plan. So in Luke chapter 20, he described himself, well, he was actually quoting an Old Testament prophet who said that, that the stone which the builders rejected had become the chief cornerstone. And then he mm. went on to say that everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So it's kind of a heavy verse in Luke 20 verses uh, 17 and 18, but Jesus himself claimed to be this, this very important figure that we dare not get wrong. If, if we fall on him, we'll be broken. If he falls on us, we'll be scattered to pieces. So we want to learn how to build our lives on him rather than, than stumbling over him. So that's, that's where I think we should start. We'll start with uh, Jesus. One way I would say this, and this is kind of, obviously you grew up with me, so you know that I could, I can be a bit of a nerd, but I would say that Jesus is singularly unique and maximally important. And that's why we want to start with him. And all of those words are important. So Jesus is, is singularly unique, which means that not only is he rare, he, there's no one else like him in the history of the world. You know, right now there are 8 billion people on the earth throughout the history of the world. Um, everyone who has lived and existed on the face of the earth, Jesus is uh, uniquely distinct from all other humans who have lived on the earth. But he's also 
maximally important. There's, there's no one more important for us to understand and be related to than Jesus. So that's, um, that's kind of where I think we should start. And so uh, today, I think we should look at four dimensions of the person of Jesus and what they teach us about who he is, but also what they teach us about how we should respond to him. What do you think? <laughs> I think that, I feel like that's so true. Like people bigger and maybe not bigger, but they definitely debate, you know, what, who was Jesus? Was he really God? Is he, is he like who he said that he was? It seems like some people tend to get pretty confused about it. So I think it is important to establish like, you know, who was Jesus? Who did he say he was? Who does the Bible say that he is in order for yeah. everyone to be on that same page? One of the things that's cool about that is that even when Jesus was on the earth in a physical body, walking among men and women, that was, that was a real conversation. There was disagreement about who Jesus was, even during his earthly life. So, and it went from one side of the spectrum to the other, where you had people who saw him as the Messiah, the promised one sent from God, all the way to people who felt that he was misleading the people, he was leading people astray, that he was actually working for um, the, the devil. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so they saw him as a major threat. So in that sense, the, the questions that people have about Jesus and the disagreements that people have about Jesus in 2023 is nothing new. Jesus has always been this controversial figure. You know, Jesus is described as the cornerstone, but another way to think about that is he is a watershed. And most people are familiar with the idea of a watershed. The simplest, most common uh, watershed that people will be familiar with is the apex of a roof. So you've got a roof and it comes to a point and when the rain falls, the rain is going to be pushed one way or the other, but the rain can't, the rain can't just sit still. The rain can't be mm -hmm. neutral because that watershed by design is gonna force the rain to go one way or the other. And Jesus is that way that he will force us to have an opinion about him that's either going to take us uh, towards life or it's gonna push us away from that. So. Yeah, today we want to talk about these four dimensions, not because they're exhaustive. There are other aspects of who Jesus is, his person, that are important for us to, to recognize and respond to. But these four are a good starting point, and, and they are essential. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So what would you say is the first dimension that we should focus on? So the first dimension that we're going to focus on today is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. And so you see this in John's gospel where <laughs> John's gospel actually starts with a callback to Genesis. So it says in the beginning um, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So anyone reading that though is immediately reminded of Genesis in the beginning God created. So John starts all the way back with, he places Jesus all the way back in the beginning. Um, the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus being the eternal son of God, it really um, points us to what's unique about his status or his person. Um, mm -hmm. A little bit later, 
Jesus is described as the only begotten son of God. And that's, and that's a phrase that comes up many times in the gospels, the only begotten son of God. And this was something that caused some confusion and, and definitely created conversation in the early decades of the church. Like, what does it mean that Jesus was begotten? Did he have a beginning? And the early church fathers um, set on the, the truth that scripture teaches, which is no, Jesus was not created. He was begotten, not created. And that's actually in the Nicene Creed is when that was, I guess you could say, formalized. But that was the belief of the early church from the be very beginning is that Jesus um, has no beginning. He is eternal in his life and he's of the same essence as God. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so you're saying that begotten means that he has been around as long as God has. Yeah, that he is of the same essence as God. And I'm, I'm pulling up the Nicene Creed right now. Um, I can read the exact language that was used by the earliest uh, church to express this. And it says they, that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, um, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, and then consubstantial with the Father. And so there's some big words there, but the idea is that what begotten means is that Jesus is from God, but he was not created by God. He's, he's from God and of the same essence as God the Father. And C.S. Lewis wrote, a very well-known writer and Christian from uh, the uh, 20th century, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in the very first chapter of that book, he had some thoughts about this idea of Jesus being begotten, uh, not created. And here's how, here's how he put it. Uh, when you beget, he wrote, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. So a man begets human babies, a beaver begets little beavers, and a bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. But when you make or when you create, you make something of a different kind from yourself. So a man who's very talented could sculpt a statue that looks just like a man, mm -hmm. but it's of a different essence. It's not, it looks similar. Maybe it even looks identical, but it's of a different essence. And that's really what um, we need to understand about Jesus is that he doesn't just look like God. Um, he is God. He is, he is eternal. So Jesus in, in the gospel of John, one of the things that, um, one of the ways he described this is that he was the one who had been sent from God. And so um, he had come from the father, he had come from heaven. And that pointed to what set him apart from all of the rest of us who have lived on the earth. All of us, our lives began with our physical births, not so with Jesus. Uh, Jesus came to earth, he took on a human body, but that wasn't the beginning of his life. Yeah, that makes sense. So one thing that we're going to talk about throughout this conversation, and then we're going to finish 
at the end is that these are things that we need to recognize about Jesus, but also respond to. So it's not enough just to know these things. We need, they are truths that need to be responded to. So in this case, um, how do we respond to Jesus being the eternal son of God? And I would say that it's embracing his unique status, that we see Jesus as different and elevated from every other person who has lived on the face of the earth, that he's a cut above, um, that he's uniquely distinct from us. So that's the, that's the first dimension of Jesus that uh, we need to recognize today. Yeah, I think that that's one that a lot of people get tripped up on is, is he divine or not? Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely true. Yeah, and in fact, a report came out earlier this year. Um, I'm blanking now. I don't, I don't remember if it was the Pew Research, but they had basically interviewed church-going Christians. So these were people that claimed to be Christians. These weren't people who rejected Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it was something like close to 50% of um, professing Christians denied the deity of Christ. And so this is, for some people listening to us today, they might be thinking, well, this is obvious, like Jesus is the eternal son of God. But, mm-hmm. but that's what we were talking about at the beginning, that these are some of the foundations that are being eroded, that, um, that we need to be mindful of, and that we need to help others come to know about Jesus. Yeah, definitely. All right, Hannah, we are back. We needed to take a quick break there. Well, it wasn't so quick, but we did take a break. Uh, Some of you probably heard uh, Hannah's daughter crying. Uh, So, you know, the baby needed some attention. We took a little break to take care of her. And we're going to dive back into this conversation on four dimensions of Jesus that we need to recognize and respond to as his people. And so the first one was he is the eternal son. And this next one that we're going to talk about, Hannah, is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is another unique attribute attribute of Jesus that no one else shares. And you and I were talking about the story of Abraham and Isaac um, last night, right? Mm-hmm. We were sharing how if you read that story as a parent, um, it's a pretty bizarre story. Like if you didn't have faith and you were just reading this story about a God who would who would ask the the man that he was most um, covenanted with Abram, Abraham to to go up and sacrifice his only son, the son that he had promised Isaac. Um, It's it's kind of a bizarre story. But what's interesting in that story is that it's, it's what we would call a shadow story. So it's actually a story that, that helps us understand not just something about Abraham and Isaac, but something about our Heavenly Father and His Son, His only begotten Son, the Son of Promise. And that, fa- that the Father loved us so much that He would sacrifice His only begotten Son, Jesus. Is, is something that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, definitely. So um, in that story, though, with Abraham and Isaac, one thing that you and I talked about was after Abraham has gotten all the way to the 11th hour and he is ready to kill his son Isaac, which is, again, hard for us to even comprehend what that <laughs> must have been like. Um, 
the angel tells him to don't do it, you know, <laughs> don't, don't go through with it. And then, um, you know, when, when Isaac had asked Abraham, Hey, we've got wood, we've got fire, but where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham told his son, Isaac, that, that God will provide the lamb. And God did provide a sacrifice that day for Abraham, but it was not a lamb. It was actually a ram, which is an interesting little twist that's easy to miss. It's a detail of the story that's easy to miss if you're reading it. I believe that's because God did eventually provide a lamb, but that was his son, Jesus. So a second dimension of Jesus that we need to understand is that he is the lamb of God, singular. And so the first thing that John the Baptist said when he introduced Jesus to the world was, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'll put you on the spot here. I know we've talked about this in the past, but when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife, he said, you're going to name this child uh, Jesus. And do you remember what the name Jesus means? It means God, God sent or God saves. God saves. So, so it literally, the Lord saves is the name. Jesus uh, is the Lord saves. And it pointed to, and the angel even said, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is a second dimension of Jesus that is unique to him. No other person, no other sacrifice has been provided by God to take away our sins aside from Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who was sent to, to save his people from their sins. And so as we talk about what does it mean to recognize and respond to this truth about the person of Jesus, what does it mean to respond to Jesus as the Lamb of God? It means that, that we need to trust him as the only one who can deal with this problem of sin that we have. We're not looking to any other solution besides Jesus. We're coming to him as the Lamb of God, the, the sacrifice that has been provided by God the Father. So any thoughts from you on that or? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if like some people, I guess, have asked, like, well, why don't we sacrifice animals anymore? Like, why did that go away? Or why did they sacrifice them in the Old Testament, but not now? Well, it's because the sacrifice has been made. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to continue making animal sacrifices because Jesus has already paid for, for all of the sins. Right. That's what the New Testament tells us is that he made one payment for all time. And, and even those Old Testament sacrifices, again, those were shadows of the true sacrifice that God was going to provide. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of backwards from what we would think. We think of these spiritual truths as being um, the um, the immaterial truths. But in reality, the the material presentations that God gave us, whether it was animal sacrifices in the Old Testament or the temple, this physical structure that God created. The writer of Hebrews tells us that God gave us that 
that physical thing to help us understand the spiritual truth. And it's even been said that God, if you take it to an extreme, that God created lambs, physical lambs, so that we could understand the true lamb, which is his son, Jesus. So you're right. uh, We have the ultimate um, sacrifice, the ultimate solution that, that God wanted us to have and to trust in by sending his son, Jesus. So the first dimension of Jesus that we need to understand is that he is the eternal son of God. He's of the same essence as the father. The second is that he is the lamb of God. He's the unique and only sacrifice available to us to take away sin. And that sort of leads right into this third dimension. So, um, what, what is the third dimension that we're going to focus on with the person of Jesus? That he is the one and the way. Right. So the early followers of Jesus were actually described not as Christians, but as followers of the way. And I think this was probably a reference back to John 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And Jesus was also the one. He was the Messiah who had been promised and and prophesied of old. Mm -hmm. And so what we see here is that um, Jesus is the only one who has been provided by God to give us access to him. And I want to read these verses out of Ephesians chapter two. This fits right in with the second dimension of Jesus that we looked at, that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what does that really mean for us? It means that it's through Jesus that we are brought back into relationship with God. So let me read these verses out of Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. It says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jews and non-Jews, made both these groups of people into one people, the church. And he broke down the barrier, the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So it's one thing to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so sin, the problem of sin has been dealt with. But Really, what sin was, is it was the thing that was separating us from God's ultimate purpose was to bring us back to himself, to mm-hmm. reconcile us to himself. And that's, that's what Jesus is, is he's, he's the one and the way, the, the one that we, the one that gives us access to God, the father. So one way that you've probably heard me talk about this is describing the coming age as the ultimate after party. So if you think about these fancy parties that maybe you have to be famous or a celebrity or 
maybe a, a leader, a well-known figure, just to get into this party. Well, think about the coming age um, as the ultimate after party. It, only the who's who are going to be here. But what if you were good friends with a famous movie star and, and they vouched for you? So you got, you got into this party um, that was being thrown, not because of how good you were, but because you were best friends with a famous movie star and they vouched for you that, hey, she's with me, right? So we can kind of understand that picture. And that's really what the coming age is. And what the Bible teaches us is that none of us are cool enough to get into hmm. the after party that God is going to be throwing in the coming age. Our only hope is that um, we have somebody on the inside that can vouch for us. And that's Jesus. Jesus is, we're going to get into the coming age, not because we deserve it or um, we're worthy of the invitation, but because we're connected to Jesus and Jesus, he gets us in. So that's, that's another way of thinking about Jesus being the way, the one, the one who's going to get us access to this life that, that the father is providing. So, yeah. What do you think about that analogy and does it make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, when he says that nobody comes to the father except through me, you know, that's, that is pretty cut and dry, <laughs> you know, that, that there is nobody else, you know, before or after, like since Jesus, no one is so awesome that they can get in on their own merit. You know, you really, you need him. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And this is another one of those things that we were talking about earlier where people struggle with this, even though some of our listeners might say, well, yeah, of course. But a lot of people struggle with this idea that Jesus is the only way, mm -hmm. that this is a unique feature of his person, that there's salvation in no one else, that all the other religions, no matter how good you are, none of us is going to make it. None of us is going to gain that access back to God except through Jesus. But that's a, that's, that's a third dimension that we want to focus on today as a, an essential truth about who Jesus is that we need to, to recognize and respond to. And the response is that, that we need to trust him and only him as the one who is going to bring us back to God. So, Let's talk about the fourth aspect or the fourth dimension of the person of Jesus. And that is? That he is the Lord of all. <laughs> yep. So when Jesus met with his disciples in Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, all authority everywhere has been given to me. And this was one of the most radical claims for the early Christians. In fact, it's the one that put them in contradiction with um, Caesar. And most of the early church was located within the early Roman Empire, and Caesar was known as the Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. But for the, the Christians, they acknowledged a different Lord of Lords, a, a different Lord of all someone who had been given authority over all, and that was Jesus himself. You know, Peter also talked about this in Acts chapter two, at the end of his first message, 
uh, proclaiming Christ to the people that were there at the Feast of Pentecost. In verse 36, he said, everyone needs to know that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so that was what Peter felt that everyone needed to recognize about Jesus is that God had made him both Lord and Messiah. And the people knew that they needed to respond. So they said, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we recognize Jesus as Lord of all, it means that we submit our lives to him and we seek to live lives of obedience. We're not just looking to Jesus as our ticket to heaven, which mm -hmm. so many people, so many people do. We're acknowledging that, that Jesus is, has been given all authority, including his authority over our lives. I think this is one that, that people struggle with. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I feel like this is a major one that, you know, even I have struggled with in the, in the past, like I feel like everybody has at some point, you know, because it's sort of like all in all encompassing, if that's the right word, like you have to, you have to die to yourself. That's, that might be one of the hardest parts here in America is, you know, you're living your life for not what you want to do, but you know, what, what Jesus would have you do whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah, and this is, I once heard a, uh, a sermon on the radio, and this was way back when I was probably your age, maybe younger than you actually. And this preacher on the radio was saying, where Jesus goes, he goes as Lord. And where he lives, he rules. And it's the idea that if Jesus is part of our lives, he doesn't come in as something less than who he really is. Jesus is Lord. So mm -hmm. if he's part of my life, he's Lord of my life. That, that there's no way to get Jesus um, and, and not have him as Lord. But that's something that we oftentimes misunderstand, which is why we wanted to focus on this particular dimension of, of Jesus's person, that he is Lord of all, he's Lord of my life. And let me read these verses out of Romans chapter 14, verses seven through nine. Paul says, not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. So that kind of gets to what you were just saying, that you have to die to yourself. Paul says, none of us who belong to Jesus no longer lives for himself. Not one of us dies for ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And I sometimes like to ask people, you know, why did Jesus die? And if you, if you only had these verses out of Romans 14, it says, this is why Jesus died, that he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead. So this is, this is something that Jesus, um, it belongs to Jesus. His, by his very death, um, he has, you could say earned, but he, he is the Lord of all. And so this fourth dimension of Jesus that we need to recognize and then respond to is that he has all authority and we seek to submit to him and to live lives of obedience. So maybe we can wrap up just by recapping these, these four dimensions what it means to 
recognize them, and then what it means to respond well. So do you want to recap them for us? What are the four dimensions of the person of Christ that we've looked at today? So we first looked at um, the person of Jesus, that he is God's eternal son, that he was not, that his existence did not begin with his, with his birth, but he has always existed. Um, and then the fact that he is the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb to cover all of our sins, which is only possible because he is perfect. Um, that he is the one and the way that he's the only way to get to God, the father or the after party. <laughs> um, and that he is the Lord of all the ultimate authority over the, the world, our country, our lives, um, everything. I think these are so important because it's very common for people to have a positive view of Jesus. So whether they consider themselves Christians or not, many people have good feelings towards him. Um, and many people will be very respectful towards Jesus. But if we don't understand how he is singularly unique, and these are four, like we said, these aren't the only four dimensions of Jesus that, that we need to recognize and respond to. But, but these are four essential truths about Jesus that we need to recognize and respond to, then what that does is it puts Jesus on his own level, um, both in the history of mankind, but also in our own lives, that he becomes the focus of our life and he becomes the, the highest, um, the thing that we are, the person that we are most highly devoted to is Jesus because these things are true and our own lives are, are so impacted by them and changed by them the fact that, that Jesus, this, this unique son of God, this unique lamb of God, this unique way to God, and, and this unique authority over all that we get to believe in and belong to him is, is something that is a foundation for faith that, that we all need to recognize and, and then build our lives on. So... Well, Buck, thanks for, for being on here with me today. This was a lot of fun. You did great. I know this was your first time <laughs> on a podcast like this. And obviously we, we had some challenges in terms of mom life, but that's, that's also the priority as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'll yeah. Any final thoughts sometime. from you? Yeah, we'll definitely do it again. <laughs> um, well, we were we kind of talked last night about like kind of going back to what you're saying about how people have generally positive feelings toward Jesus, you know, usually, um, you know, but they tend to miss one or two of these uh, essentials that we had talked about. And like you'll hear, you might hear people say like, well, I think that Jesus was a good person, but I don't think that he was really God or, hmm. you know, something along those lines. I think he was a good teacher, but I don't think he was really from God. I don't think he really came back from the dead. Um, but what I was, what we kind of talked about last night was, you know, 
either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a heretic, or he's crazy because he taught that he (laughs) was God. He taught very clearly about who he was and who the Bible says he is. So you can't really just sort of have like half Jesus where you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I think I think that he was great, but he's not really like the authority of my life or or anything else. Like you either have to be you either have to recognize who he really is, who he says he was, or you have to um, deny him altogether, I would say. Right. And I think that's that's a big part of what we're trying to get at with with this particular conversation is that if we if we try to make Jesus something less than these things that we've talked about today, then it's it's actually a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus that we find in Scripture and it's not the Jesus that he himself claimed to be. And that's really why he got in trouble with the people of his generation is they did recognize and rather than respond, they recognize what he was claiming about himself and rather mm-hmm. Rather than responding to it the right way, the way that we're hoping that people who are listening to this will, in essence, they rejected those claims about Jesus um, and they worked against him, against his purposes and and against why the Father had sent him down to the earth. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's why Jesus said that you're either with me or against me, Mm -hmm. that you're, you're either helping me gather or you're scattering. Because when we don't recognize who Jesus truly is, and respond to it, we actually put ourselves in opposition against Jesus. And we begin to even accidentally or unintentionally work against the purposes of God that he has for our lives and for the lives of people around us. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Buggy, we will do it again. Thanks again for being a trooper. (laughs) Kiss the babies. Kiss the babies for me. I will. And we'll do it again soon. Sounds good.